Welcome to the interview series, the first podcast by ICMP, the Institute of Contemporary Music Performance in London. I'm back with a second season of interviews, this time focusing on the people that made ICMP a pioneer when it comes to music higher education in the UK, our tutors. Zan Black is a multi-instrumentalist, composer, session player and solo artist currently teaching on a few different courses at ICMP. Zan has got a lot of stories to tell, from playing with Amy Winehouse as her backing vocalist and pianist, to recording with Mark Ronson and doing a little cameo in the Valerie's video. He opened up about some of his best memories on the road. Zan also talked about finding new revenue streams as a musician, specifically about his recent venture in the world of music for film, TV, podcasts and more. It was really inspiring to see someone with such a CV keep challenging himself, trying to launch a new career. Zan also touched on the concept of creativity, explaining step-by-step the process that he follows when making music. And when I asked him what his plans are for post-pandemic times, he surprised me by saying that he has none. And that's the way he likes to live. Life does its thing and he adapts. Lucky him, I must add. Thanks for listening to the interview series by ICMP London. Don't forget to tag us should you share it on social media. You can find us at ICMP London across all platforms. Hi Zan, how are you? Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me on. I am very, very good. Thank you. I'm great. Yes. It's it's really cool to be talking to you because it's you're one of those people at ICMP that have been at ICMP for a long time and yeah. that I never really got to interact with that much. So you're sort of like this figure that everyone knows, the but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's really good to be talking to you today. I just want to break the ice by asking you what was the first piece of music you listened to, I suppose, when you were young that made you think this is home, this is, you know, this is comfort. Not so much this is what I want to do with my life, but like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's a really good question. It's hard to pin one specific moment down, but I know that... The Sound of Music, the movie The Sound of Music with Julie Andrews, oh, a dear, a female dear, that um, had a, a really major impact on me as a child. Um, as a, yeah, even till today, it still has an impact on me. So just getting a concept of uh, solfage even just from that, you know, and I didn't know I was learning solfage, but, um, but yeah. Uh, that was uh, an early influence. Uh, Michael Jackson was an early influence. So every time I was born in Lagos, Nigeria, so um, every time that a Michael Jackson album would come out, it was a major event. Um, so yeah, the you know off the wall thriller, those two albums in particular, um, and Stevie Wonder was also an influence, and Fela Fela Kuti, who is a um, yeah. Nigerian musician who now you know everyone knows about him but I guess at one point not not everyone did but Fela uh Chief Sunny I did there were a bunch of different types of musics um which made me feel good and I guess the only other thing to add is that my parents were Christians and the Christian tradition in um in Nigeria at least in our church uh is very much more kind of it's more spiritual it's more happy clappy as you might say you know and a lot of music going on in there so I think 
probably that might have been my first ever introduction to music as people singing in the church and they had percussionists as well so getting a sense of rhythm from that as well um, which is something I went on, went on to do myself later on so yeah that was the beginning okay so you mentioned that you went on doing percussions but I know that you've been doing so many different things so you're a vocalist <laughs> you're a multi-instrumentalist you're a songwriter yeah. you're a composer you're a music producer yeah. um you're a session player yeah what was the first thing that you did so the first thing i did was singing then in church hearing that most of us were singing the song and then these other guys were singing the same song with the same words at the same time but they were singing slightly differently from us and it made things sound nicer. So that was my beginning of harmony and going, oh, I didn't know it was harmony. I just I was like, oh, those guys are singing something different, but it sounds kind of nice. Um, then occasionally I'd get into, oh, I'll jump across to what they're doing. So I won't sing what this is, what I was doing before. I'll sing the thing that they're doing and I'll be jumping between, I guess, root melody and harmony. Um, so, that was uh, that was my first instrument, and then the first thing I played. I know it sounds strange, but there is a bell that you we played in church, and we, I'm sure people still do. We still play in church, and it's basically just like the kind of bell you'd have if you were at school, and the teacher comes out and goes, "End of playtime." They go, "Ding a ding a ding." You know, they hold it. It's got a handle. Then there's a bell at the end. And the way we used to play that was not like that. We'd hold the handle with the bell facing downwards so the the open part of the bell was facing the ground or maybe slightly at an angle and you take the knocker inside the bell and hold it between your two fingers and then play that rhythmically inside the bell you know and then you could play it open you could mute it with your palm so like there are different ways you could get different sounds but it was a way to start playing rhythm so i think probably that's the first thing first instrument that i ever played um, and then I'll stop this. <laughs> I'll stop giving you a long answer. But the next thing that I jumped across to was for me as a four year old, uh, the coolest guys in the church, which I spent a lot of time in the church when I was younger. The coolest guys in the church were the percussionists. It was like these guys are specialists. They do something which not everyone else can do. So I was like, they're cool immediately. So I wanted to learn that. So I'd bug those guys. Um, and they're, you know, they're grown people. And I'd bug them and bug them and bug them. Can you show me this? And then I started picking up things like basically playing congas, um, playing bongos. Um, and I can't remember what else. Like, yeah, shakers, different types of shakers. Um, so, yeah, that was that was definitely my first instrument. Other than the voice, it was very much rhythm-based. Rhythm so I'm not going to get you to tell me about every other thing that you've done because i'm sure yeah. we won't have enough time yeah <laughs> we want yeah, to go yeah. down that route yeah, yeah 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 but considering all the things that you have done and you're still doing yeah. i would like to know how do you set the boundaries like how do you keep within a certain role let's say for example when you're in the studio as a music producer versus yeah. when you're on stage as a session player performing someone else's music how yeah. do you manage to get like the sort of like the different things that you do to influence each other in a at your advantage in a positive way and not to get against what you're doing if that makes sense yeah no that's a good question i mean for me all of it feeds into all of it because at the moment i'm teaching myself how to play guitar 
So I've had a guitar since like 1997. I've had, in fact, no, I had a guitar, one guitar since 1997 and it just collected dust. I'd pick it up, I'd try it for about a few months, fall off, it collect dust again for a few years, pick it up. But yeah. So, um, so at the moment I'm learning guitar and at the, um, I'm sticking with it. I've been doing it for about a year and a half or so and it's sticking. So this is good news. Um, and what I've, what I've found is that once I, it's all language. So for me, I just look at music now. It, I didn't look at it like that before, but now I just look at music very much as a language. So my approach is always that um, if you look at music as a language, it's very obvious what you need to do. So if I wanted to learn Italian, for example, and say that I was a fluent Italian being, not just a speaker, but a being, it would mean that I'd need to do four things. I need to be able to write Italian. I need to be able to read Italian. I need to be able to speak Italian and I need to be able to comprehend Italian. So those are the four areas of, um, of kind of mastery or going towards mastery I'd need to do. And the same thing happens with music as I see it. So, you know, if you're on, if there are a bunch of people on stage and they're playing, I just look at it as a bunch of people having a conversation. That's how I look at it now. So like, you know, the bass player might, we, we all basically, we all have a conversation. We all have a topic that we picked that we're going to talk about, which is the song basically. And within that topic, we have particular, you know, even more categories. We say, okay, we're going to speak about, for example, you could say, we're going to talk about science, but that's too wide. So you go, right, we're going to talk about science, but we're going to speak specifically about biology. So you say, right, we're going to speak in E flat major. That's where it's at, you know, and, you know, and it just and then everyone speaks around E flat major. Now, just in the same way that um, in normal conversation, someone can say something which is tangential, something which is a bit um off from where we're supposed to be speaking but it makes sense because of the contrast or because of the wit it's the same way that someone can like we're playing an e flat major but someone goes into i don't know goes into c major for a bit and it will play something that is like oh that's not within the key but it it contrasts what's happening and everyone goes oh i like that joke you made or i like that thing you do and someone reacts to it so that's the way I look at the whole thing of music is that it's a language. And as a result, when I come back to this thing of playing guitar, the same brain that I use to sing and the same brain that I use to play piano and to arrange and do whatever else and produce is the same brain I use for guitar. All feed each other, basically. So, yeah, that's that's the way I do it. For example, when I played with Amy Winehouse, one of the lessons I learned from her was to play try yeah play triadic chords um and also to play inversions of triads and move around and write songs in that direction because prior to that everything i played had to be like you know a minor seven sharp five flat two you know squared it had to be like really it had to be quite heavy harmony in the sense of quite rich harmony so when i came across this thing of oh especially in the second album back to black the songs are very much based on triads from doing the session with amy that influenced my songwriting in myself that i thought oh aside from playing all these really rich chords like every minor doesn't have to be a, a minor 13 a minor 9 with an 11 and a 13 you can just play a minor triad just play that and i look at it kind of as um uh fat and thin fat and thin or rich and uh very very what's the word i'd say rich and very pure so pure is like 
triads and things like that they're very pure they haven't got a lot of harmonic stuff going on but as you add more notes to that triad it becomes richer and fatter in a way like as in like it has more juice around it and it's important in songwriting to mix some of the things which are purer with some of the things which are um which are richer so that way you're getting contrast and surprising people so yeah it all it all feeds each other it's the same brain so it all feeds each other okay and it never gets in the way but actually enriches what you bring into to the uh, to the session or whatever you're doing yeah definitely i mean like the only thing that gets in the way is myself really um <laughs> because for just before this podcast here you know how it is like before this podcast here i was recording and i'm working on this um piece of music and i know it's a great piece of music and i don't say that out of arrogance i just know that like I've worked hard and like I, I've listened to enough music to know that this is a fine piece of music and it's cool. I'm not saying it's the best in the world, but it's it's a fine piece of music. But as I'm working on it and I'm like really going granular, and maybe this tune isn't all that. I don't know. Am I? Do, is this foolishness? Am I? You know, deluding myself? So I think if there's anything that gets in the way of pretty much all of us, it's ourselves. Based on mm. this varied experiences that you've had within the industry. How would you define yeah. creativity? Ooh, good question. Uh, this is a good one. Okay, I'm going to say I really um, recommend a book called Big Magic, which is by a lady called Liz Gilbert, Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote um, Eat, Pray, Love as well. But like one of the things that she talks about is about the concept of ideas. And I've really bought into this thing that like her kind of vibe is that ideas, um, sentient beings they're sentient actual things that have some kind of form of life and what it is is that for them to manifest for them to appear in a way that all humans can understand where we live you know on this planet they need a, a relationship with a human being they need a relationship a symbiotic relationship with a human being who will then help them become manifest help them appear um, so for example the track i'm working on at the moment I didn't come up with that idea. That idea came to me and my job is just to stay open. That's how I look at the creativity thing is like my job is just to stay open. And when an idea comes to you, there might be an idea that's like, go down the street and go and beat loads of people up or smash people's cars. And I'm like, no, you're an idea that I don't really want to listen to. But if an idea comes to you that you feel, oh, this resonates with me then my job, as I see it, is to use all the skills and abilities that I have to help that idea manifest as best as I can. And that's all I can do. Someone else might be able to get the idea and do it much better than me, but I'm going to do the best I can with what I have to help that idea manifest as beautifully, as clearly as I can. And one of the beautiful things that I really love about creativity and ideas when especially when you approach it from that point of view it takes your ego out of it for a start so it's not my idea it's just an idea that's turned up um you're in service of something and there are some interesting things about it so the idea always it seems at this point and you'd never say always but it seems so at the moment never reveals the whole of itself it always reveals a bit at the beginning and then i'm like okay i can't see how this whole thing works but let me just start that's one of the things about creativity I believe in, is don't wait for perfection, don't wait for everything to make sense, just start. It doesn't even have to be something amazing in your mind that you start with. 
But like, you know, if you're going to build a house, you don't have to find the most amazing brick in the world. You just have to find a brick, put the brick down, then put another brick and another brick, blah, blah. So the idea comes to me. I start working on the idea. I start doing my best to reveal this idea. And as I go along, it reveals itself. And I'll be doing something. I'll be like, oh, I didn't think of that. Oh, there's this other thing that could be added here. And it's just more and more. And when it's finished, when the whole thing is completed, I've finished creating something. It's like, you can see it. And it's like a fully formed idea. But at the beginning, you could not see that. You just saw like a bit of it. And then you just start the journey. And as you're, you know, you look at it like a journey. As you're walking along, you're walking along. You know you're going roughly in this direction. You see something on the road as you're going. You go, oh, that's interesting. You turn right slightly. You go, okay, let me take a look at that. You spend some time there. While you're there, you learn something. And they say, no, actually, you know, you should check out this building over here. It's got amazing paintings. You go over to, you know, and it just reveals itself. But the key thing, the, the key thing is start, is just to start. And while you're creating, um, not to edit at the same time as you're creating, not to judge. So like the whole thing is like, there's one phase, which is just spewing everything out. Just like, get it out there, get it out there, get it out there. Do it as best you can, you know, like, cause there is that whole thing of you can't polish a turret, you know, like, oh, I'll do it and I'll fix it in the mix or I'll fix it later. No, do it as properly as you can. So get it out there. And then once everything is out there, then is the time to start not criticize, well, criticizing it in the most positive um, uh, version of the word. So like you're looking at it and you're going, okay, where can I create space? What can I remove? You know, all those kinds of things. So that's how I approach creativity. And I really believe that creativity is something that you can do in everything. So you can brush your teeth creatively, you can cook creatively, you can drive your car creatively. And I, in fact, I encourage everybody to do that because artists have this kind of thing of thinking that, uh, or writers or whoever, create, creative people. There is no such thing as creative people. We're all creative people. Um, but uh, people have this concept of, oh, when I stand in front of a mic, when I pick up a pen to do some copywriting, when I, I don't know, whatever it is, when I stand behind a camera and I start filming, then I need to be creative. But when I am doing my administration or when I'm doing my emails to try and win new business or make new connections, oh, this is really dry and boring. It doesn't have to be. It can be done creatively. It can be done in a way that is unique to you and not just like when the person receives the email, they're like, oh, right, this is just a copy and paste job, you know, and like this person hasn't really done any research on me, uh, doesn't really care. And is just like just throwing stuff against the wall, just throwing pasta against the wall and hoping something sticks. The concept of research yeah. is really interesting because I see it very deeply connected to the concept of creativity. Yes. And how do you see that? I'm curious because like, I know it's, it's me talking about, I'm interested in I, what you... I see it in the way that um, I don't think that anyone is creative, meaning that mm. they're able to start something completely out of the blue. I mm. see the research process as the first step of like creating yeah. stuff and just literally, yeah. you know, having ideas to be able to get an idea in your mind, you have to research, yeah. you have to know the general aspect of things that you're into and the yeah. specifics of what you're trying to get so let's say in yes. my job for marketing i need to know the general principles of marketing of course but at the same time i need to give the same mind space to what i'm trying to get to so my consumers 
the audience, whatever it is that I'm trying to get to, I need to know that yeah. really well. And then I can start yeah. thinking about ideas. Yes, uh, agreed. And I'd actually go as far as to say that even before you start doing the research, the first thing that drives everybody to do something is, yeah, there are two drivers from my approach, and I can only talk about myself because it's my podcast. My approach is like, everything is based on intention. That's where everything starts. So uh, I'm not the first person to say this. I'm like the one billionth or something. There are people who I've learned this from, but everything is based on intention. So intention, thoughts, words, deeds, basically actions, you know, intentions, thoughts, words, actions. And before you take the action of even researching, there needs to be some kind of intention. So the intention is normally, from my point of view, fed by two things, either fear or trust. So like you trust something as in you love something. And the reason I use the word trust is because I don't believe you can truly love anything that you don't trust. If you don't have complete trust, you can't love it. So you trust something, you're into something and you're like, Ooh, there's something that moves me inside that makes me interested in going to do this thing. And then that's your intention. Then you start doing it and you, you know you do the research and if you really love it you try and meet as many people who are into this thing you learn as much as you can um and conversely if you're doing something out of fear that'll be more like well i'm gonna do this thing because that's what i'm supposed to do or what well my parents or my family or my friends might say this or if i don't do this i might look like an idiot or you know i'm not sure you know and it's not done because you actually have an affinity and an attraction to this thing. So we all do it. I think in my life, and I encourage everybody else to do the same, um, I do my best to get the out of 100%, I do my best to get mainly 90% or like the highest percentage I can of my intentions to be based on trust and the least percentage of, of, uh, of my intentions that I can to be based on fear. Yeah, research is, is a superpower that people just don't really pay attention to and don't understand. And like I said earlier, when you email someone, even if you've done the simplest thing, like if you uh, are going to email someone, even if you do the simplest thing, you type in their name and you type in the word interview afterwards in a Google or whatever. And you'll see like, you know, text interviews, as in like press interviews will come on, online interviews, or you'll see even better yet, a YouTube video where they're being interviewed. And you can really get a feeling of the essence of the person. What kind of person are they? Are they really strict and like very stiff and flexible and, you know, and funny and, um, and happy. And that informs the tone that you're going to write your email in. And you can say, Oh, I saw you on this interview. And thank you for sharing your knowledge. I learned loads. I really particularly like these points, blah, 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 blah. And you know, it's just very different to hi, I've got some music and um, I think you're going to like it. <laughs> Which <laughs> is literally like... copying and pasting like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just to personalize it basically and get a get much closer to um to understanding what the person is about so you've worked with so many artists i mean of course you mentioned amy winehouse and yeah. you also worked with mark ronson emily sunday lauren bula um yeah. you did a remix for uh, earth wind and fire you worked yeah. with nigel kennedy i mean the yeah. list goes on and on and on yeah and i would like to know if there are any stories that you can think of that you're willing to share with us there are like you know something that stuck with you something that's really really memorable about being 
I don't know, on tour, just like working with such superstars? Wow. Uh, okay, let me think. Oh, <laughs> that's a good one. I mean, there are, <laughs> there are a mixture of different ones. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I remember this. This was amazing. Yeah. Um, I remember working with Amy. We went to a place called Barrowlands, which is a venue in Glasgow, if I remember correctly. Yeah, right. And the ceiling in, in, in Barrowlands is really low, you know. So, um, like, literally, there's, yeah, it's right above your head. Especially if you sat on stage, it's right above your head. And I remember, I mean, we'd been doing the stuff. Uh, with Back to Black. In fact, I, I'll tell you a, full, a slightly fuller story in that the way I got the Amy gig was because, wasn't because I was the most amazing pianist in the world or anything like that. It wasn't that. It was because the guy who was a pianist in the band, he was doing the last year of his degree and he had a whole bunch of finals that were going to be coming up. And he said, I can't do it. So the blessing that I had was that I can sing and play. And they wanted someone who could do BVs as well as play or someone who could play and do BBs as well, whichever way you choose to look at it. And he was like, he is like 20 years younger than me, 15 years younger than me, something like that. But the reason I mentioned this is because the way that I knew him was that I wasn't um, precious or too proud to meet other musicians, basically, and go and hang with people who were not like me, who weren't my age group, um, and occasionally go and play gigs with them and do it completely for free because I was just like just hanging and they're good. They're great players and it's great to hang with them. Um, so he said, would you be interested in doing this thing with Amy Winehouse? And this was like December 2006. And I, or November, something like that. And I said, sure, that, that'd be cool. That sounds cool. I remember her doing Frank. Back to Black hadn't really started going yet, but it was out, but it hadn't started going nuts. So I remember around Christmas 2006 um, that people were saying, the usual stuff, hey, so what are you up to next year? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, I'm doing, um, I'm going to be uh, doing some shows and touring with this artist called Amy Winehouse. And some people were like, oh, yeah, mm, yeah, that name rings a bell. Yeah, but I'm not quite sure, you know. And you know, I said, oh, you know, she did Frank and she plays the guitar. She was on Jules Holland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By March 2007, if I said Amy one, I was like, ah, you know, everybody knew about Amy. So it, that was that was amazing. The, it's, it's, it, if you watch the Asif Kapadia documentary, Amy, um, the film, nobody could have predicted it you just can't predict that stuff it's like you do something the label releases it they go hey it's a good album let's see how it goes and then that happens um so i remember being at barrowlands and we were in the dressing room i'd never been to barrowlands before and i've never been since and we walk in and the room is stuffed i mean like just stuffed um we start and they are going absolutely bananas they're going nuts so we start playing the first song, which is Addicted from the set. And the whole of that song, I could not hear what I was playing. Like they were screaming so loud that I don't, everyone said like, couldn't hear what the heck, it was just muscle memory. Like, okay, I know it lands about here. I can hear where the drums are. So like, just wow. play along. And I just remember thinking, and it was, you know, because it was so stuffed and it's like low ceiling and everything, so sweaty, <laughs> so, so hot. It was like ridiculously hot. And we played this game and it was, it was cool. It was really, really cool. <laughs> so I remember doing that and um, yeah, I remember playing at Isle of Wight and like, you know, back to black always starts with a piano. And it's like, man, there's 90,000 people here. If I mess this up, 
I was about if to I, say that's a big responsibility. If I mess this intro up, it is not a good look. Um, so, and when there's that many people in front of you, strangely enough, it just kind of becomes a bit of a blur because there's so many people, and uh, the venues you used to play at, and you'd be like, "Ooh, this is a really big venue." You come back and you'd be like, "Man, this place is really tiny." <laughs> it's, it's just like you know perspective is very strange you come back and be like wow in a matter of a year or even less yeah 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 but it's great i mean like you know all all these different sizes of venues and opportunities are, are all great and um did you work with mark ronson via amy or was it a separate thing yeah well you know i haven't done tons of work with mark so i was on the valerie video um uh, which was a hoot um and uh, I was a taken man at the time, but my lord, I mean, like, you know, it just so many, uh, uh, so many screaming women uh, looking at us. And I was like, okay, so this is how they do their band. Because Amy's band was very chilled and we were pretty cool guys. But like, I did the video with him. Um, and then we did some other, a couple of gigs where there was a, a private club, like a, a private members thing in Mayfair where Mark was kind of like the the curator of music there so we did something there and we did some other stuff on some of the Amy charity gigs so her her charity um doing uh some gigs with that so yeah that's the stuff that I've done with Mark now moving away from being a session player I actually want to get into your composer career some of your um your music has also been used on tv programs series yeah. documentaries and and podcast theme songs as well so how did it all happen i have been touring and gigging and doing those things for i don't know at least a good 14 15 years now um in fact maybe even longer actually probably closer to 20 i've been gigging for about 20 but anyway um it just got to a point for me prior to corona and covid happening that i thought it's cool that I'm doing this and I'm so grateful that I'm actually a fairly successful, I'm a successful musician, I'm doing well. I'm not Herbie Hancock, you know, but I'm doing well, you know. And um, the thing that I think was beginning to get somewhat tiresome for me was um, like the all the stuff that goes around making the music, you know. So... You want to go and do a gig and i remember one of the guys in my band nathan allen the drummer he was saying this and it's so true and you know he said like well people kind of think that we get paid to go and play and do a gig but actually what we get paid to go and do is to deal with all the travel <laughs> and working out logistics and like you know trying to get from a to b and the sound check and all the you know you're gonna go and play an hour performance and you spend maybe literally as in like the actual work time and travel time maybe 24 hours you know or maybe more hours for one hour of playing music and that's just like that aspect but as a solo artist then uh nowadays as i'm sure many of your listeners will know and you'll know the venues are very much into hey you've got to promote the gig so if you put it on social media are you constantly putting on social media we've only sold this many tickets how can we sell more but there is like, a lot of work involved other than the yeah. the show and yeah that's cool that's just what it comes with these days but for me i was like no i'm a musician i don't really do social media anymore even even before i did it but i did it because 
it was something that I needed to do. Well, I, I didn't even need to do, but I, I felt I should do um, with things. But for me now, it's like, uh, I just, I got to the point where I thought I don't want to be at Sunset at five o'clock in the morning anymore. Like, you know, traveling and flying to ABCD. I've done enough of it. I'm really grateful for that time, but I'd like to be able to make really good money, quite frankly, and do it in a way that is that allows me to be fully creative so i don't have to be stuck with intro verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus 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 out you know like that's not every song has to be like that no it doesn't um and composing for tv composing for film the five like you know the five forks as i see them tv radio um, feature film um, gaming and advertising um, composing in those five areas gives you way more scope to be, gives me way more scope to be creative and like create all types of music. So like if I look at my showreel that I send to people, there are rock tracks on there, there are classical pieces that are on there, there is funk stuff on there, there is like, you know, there's instrumental stuff, vocal stuff, there's a mixture of things. So they're not so made on commission, but it's rather you providing a set of like various tracks and then using them a mixture because like take for example just recently i've been working on the advertising campaign the yeah the campaign for a a really major brand that everybody knows can't say more than that but a really major brand that everybody knows in this case they heard actually uh, what i did was linkedin that's my jam so like you know people do instagram and facebook and whatever else linkedin is where i live because I watched a documentary on Netflix, which I advise everybody to watch, called The Black Godfather, The Black Godfather. And it's not like a Godfather um, movie. It's very much about the music industry and the film industry, but in a really positive way. And it's one particular character who has had such a massive impact on people. Um, And lots of people you'll know. And from watching that thing, I thought, ooh, this is interesting. This is a guy that nobody really knows about, or no, sorry, people know about, the people who know, know, but the mass public do not know about this person. But the amount of influence and the way that this guy has affected the mass public's life that they're not even aware of is amazing. So I was like, right, that's where I want to live. I want to be in a place where I still travel when I feel like it. I still go and gig when I feel like it, not out of necessity, but really I can be behind the scenes creating great music um, and uh, and yeah, bringing joy to people through that, uh, being free in the way that I compose and the different types of music that I can approach um, and do that from the comfort of my own home. It was like, and, and sorry, let's not forget, get paid way, way, way more than I would as a touring musician. So when I added all that up together, I was like, sold. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's, that's worked out for you quite well, right? Well, do you know, it's a process, you know, just like we were talking about creativity. I'm at the beginning of my journey because it's an area that I've been interested in for years and never kind of like really stuck with it and then like, you know, stayed there for months and just put my mind towards it, my time and my energy. And now it started, I'm still very much at the beginning, you know, Um, but if I've learned one thing, which I learned from the Black Godfather and also from this whole thing, relationships are the juju. The relationships are everything. They are the thing that like, you know, 
means that when you are in trouble, people will help you out. Or if you're, you're short somewhere and you need a bit more, people will help you out or people will open a door for you or give you a chance. Um, or you make a mistake, they'll say, okay, don't worry about it, we'll give you another chance. So relationship building, not networking, which is a very superficial and like kind of like, you know, just at the skin level kind of thing, but um, real relationship building and actually being of value to other people is really what I'm investing my time in at the moment. So a mixture of relationship building and also constantly creating music because that's my job. And there's no point in me, there's no point of me building a whole bunch of relationships and then not making music but there's a fine line and I'll, I'll i'll stop my monologue in a second there's a fine line between this that sometimes what we fall into as a trap is like we create a whole bunch of music and then shove it down someone's throat like you know you go to the head of music for a particular tv channel and you say okay here's my music it's great do something with it and it's like no that's not the way it works the way it works is that we have these particular requirements and needs and like you, if we allow you to, we would like you to be able to help us realize this idea, you know, like to do your part because we're not music experts, you are. So it's, you know, you're there to be of value to the other people. Um, the other thing about composing in this area is that it's a very collaborative thing, which is a very positive thing, but also if you're not prepared for that, can be very frustrating. So like, you know, you do a song and you go, this is great. They say, okay, yeah, could you tweak this? And after like maybe 10 revisions, you're like, man, what is going on? What's wrong with these people? Well, they're saying, can you give us a little bit more purple in the song? And you're like, what the hell does that mean? But it's important to understand that it's not even a dialogue between you and them. It's sometimes a a trialogue or a quadrilogue or a quintrilogue, you know, it's like there's so many different people who have a say in how this thing is going to end, as in if you're doing music for a, a TV show or for a film or something like that. Um, and the more money that's been thrown in to the budget to make this thing work, the more risk averse people are. And they're like really careful. They want to make sure that more pressure, I guess. Yeah, basically, they're, you know, and they're like more, more, uh, frankly, more fearful, you know, like more like, oh, got to be careful. Like, you know, does this make sense? Will the audience like this? Blah, blah, blah. So it does have its own things as well. But it's cool, you know. It is a very different language and, and, and dynamics from, from what you used to. But I suppose it's it can be challenging in a good way. Yeah, very much so. I, I really enjoy it. And, you know, I'm, I'm really, really at the beginning of my career with this. But even last night, I was like, oh, I, there's a, I'm just going to drop all these things. Your podcast is great. But also, there's a podcast which a lady called Edith Bowman, who some of you guys will know as a radio presenter and a TV presenter. She does a podcast called Sound Tracking. And you can find it on, like, you know, Apple Podcasts or whatever podcasts. Um, and I've been listening to loads of these podcasts where she's interviewing um, really great people, people from Pixar, people from Disney, people from, like, you know, uh, the, um, Steve McQueen, who made 12 Years a Slave, and all manner of people, you name it, she's interviewing them. Um, Ludwig Goransson, who's very hip at the moment, you know, uh, Black Panther, all that stuff. And last night, I was listening to a lady called Pina uh, Toprak, who did the score for Fortnite. She did some scoring on Fortnite, which I think was a big deal, was very big. And she also did the score on the movie Captain Marvel. So after I listened to the interview, I said, man, 
let me just like listen to the score of Captain Marvel. And I listened to it and I was like, wow, this is like, it's great, but it's like so intense. And like, there's so many layers and why is she choosing this? And why is it staying on one chord for a long time? Then lots of things going around it. And afterwards I thought, you know what? I think I'm gonna go and study film scoring. I just thought, right, I know I've gone deep into my career, but I think I'm gonna take two years, um, not two years out, I'm gonna be working still, but I'm gonna go and invest a couple of years and go and study film scoring because I want to be able to score for an orchestra and conduct an orchestra and like really, um, yeah, and go do that because it's a different animal to doing advertising, which is like write a catchy tune, write something that's 60 seconds or 90 seconds long and supports and augments what is happening on the screen, the, the storytelling, which is what happens in film as well. Um, but I just thought, yeah, I'd, I'd love to stretch out in that way. So that's the kind of person I am. I'm always looking to challenge myself. I'm like, man, you know, just keep stretching, keep uh, keep growing. Make the most of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, on a really quick note, I was saying this to my friends the other day, and I said, you know, if any of us are lucky, we might get to experience 80 springs, 80 summers, 80 autumns, and 80 winters. If we're lucky, we live to 80. That, and if you think about that, 80 summers, there's only 80. It's not triple figures, it's just double figures. So every single spring, every single summer, every single autumn, I don't know about winter, I'm not really a winter guy, but anyway, that counts for every single one is really significant. And for me, I do everything in my power to eat it up, <laughs> to inhale it, to like, you know, be my best version of myself, to ask questions, to learn, to constantly be learning to try things that I don't know what the hell I'm doing, just try it, just go um, and and do your best to be open because when you see a mistake, I just look at a mistake as an event that's happened that I didn't plan. It doesn't mean that the, the event is bad or good, it's just an event and then it's up to me to look at it and judge it afterwards and go, that event has happened, I didn't plan it, oh, it's wrong, it's a mistake. Or I look at it and go, what opportunities does this event that I didn't plan offer me? And how can I go in a direction that isn't the same routine that I've been doing over and over again? So I love mistakes. What is the opportunity that this offers? So that's, yeah, that's where I'm at. Like just live life as much as possible. You can be doing composing, music, whatever it is you think you're doing. It's all not that important. You know, it's important in one level, but in another level it's like living, being healthy, just waking do. up. Just do. And while you're alive, you find something to do and hopefully something that adds value and benefit to people around you and the world at large. And in my case, music is what I'm doing. So, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And actually uh, connected to this, I was going to delve into something a little bit deeper. So Ooh. I was going to ask you, because, of course, the um, the sort of like musicians that, that you mentioned as your main influences, they all seem to be, um, they were sort of like all connected to themes of social justice when it comes to like yeah. songwriting and, and the reason why they were doing music as well in the first place. Yeah. So I'd like to know what's your take on this in the sense that um, what's your what's your take on making music to spread a message, a positive message, like how important is it for you and yeah. how important is it to have a voice for the ones that don't have a voice, for example? Because of course, as yeah. an artist, I believe that you know you're you're privileged in the sense that you can speak for people that yeah. cannot. Yes, I think what you just said is completely right. But I'm not someone who writes songs about social justice generally. So far, what I do 
hope to do with my music, however, is that I always want to write music that makes people feel good. So like that's always been my thing is like, I want my music to be the kind of thing where if you've had a really horrible day and you, or you've had a date which hasn't gone the way you wanted, you can find solace in my music. You can put it on and it can help change your mood. It can help change the way you feel about the world. So that, that has been my thing. And on top of that, I'm completely in support and encourage people to express themselves and say things about the world and say things about how they see things which aren't right. But that's just not my spirit. <laughs> it's not the way that I move as a human being. If I see something that's not right, as in just in a day-to-day -day situation, sometimes I'll speak up about it and I'll speak to the person and sometimes I won't, you know? I mean, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's not because I don't want to speak to the person, um, but there are times when I just feel like, no, come on, this is just ridiculous now. And like, I, I, it, it's important that as we're all there, we've been there, we've been on the bus and there's someone doing something which is massively antisocial and it's not great. And everybody in the UK, I don't know what it's like in Italy, but in the UK, everyone kind of just turns away like, mm, I don't see that happening. Everyone can see it's happening, but they just turn away and like, no, I'd rather not face it. And there are some times where I'm like, you know, live and let live. And then there's some other times I'm like, no, this isn't right what you're doing and you're not considering the rest of us. But in my music, that's not where so far my music has been towards. It has been very much about bringing joy to people and bringing joy to myself, actually. I really, that's the energy that I want to contribute to the world. Um, yeah. And that's a really, really positive note because, I mean, I've got to the end of my list of questions. So that was really, really good. Really good ending. Actually, I want to know, what do you have in, what are you planning for the, the, the upcoming months? Well, I have to say, I have absolutely no plans for the upcoming months. And the reason that I have no plans for the upcoming months is I'm a firm believer in living in the now. So um, I, I basically, like the best thing I can do to not hurt myself is not to try and play God. So whenever I try and play God, it always goes wrong. I always end up messing myself up. But if I can just focus on living in the now, being really present and using all my skills to do the best that I can in the now, that's good enough for me. Uh, it, it, it scares the hell out of me sometimes. I'm just like, oh God, I don't know. How am I going to make my money? How am I going to make my living? How am I going to pay my rent, etc. I have the same issues that we all have, but for my peace of mind, I'm just like, focus on the now. And if you end up homeless, focus on the now when you're homeless. <laughs> focus on that, you know, that it won't happen. Okay. It, and I know that sounds crazy. I, as a musician, I've been around so many of my friends who have been like, oh God, I don't know how I'm gonna make it through this month. For years, not a single one of my friends is homeless. Not all of them are like, they've all been through it. Like, oh, it's all going wrong. But, everybody's still cool so i look at it like this you're gonna end up wherever you're gonna end up i'm gonna end up wherever i'm gonna end up i can either get there peacefully or i can stress myself out and i'm just like just do your best not to stress yourself i don't want to stress out yeah fair yeah, enough man. it's like just be present give it your best and what more can you do what more can i do i can't predict the future because there are too many other uh, factors that are so completely outside of my control so the factors that I am in control of are myself. So I do my best to work as hard as I can, enjoy myself, have fun, because that's what life is about as well. Be kind to other people, share stuff around me that's good, and just focus on the now. So I have no plans uh, for the coming months 
because uh, I, I'm just going to work on now and build the things that I have right in front of me right now, um, the connections that I have. I have plans for tomorrow morning. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good start. That's a good start. Yeah, I'm glad you do. Email. I've got emails ready. I've got the people who I need to hit tomorrow morning. I know the piece of music I'm going to work on tomorrow. Um, so I have those kind of plans, but um, life does what life does. And I just like do my best to focus on my little patch and do it as best as I can. And That's amazing. I, I could never live like that. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Zan, thank you so much for your time. And it was lovely to speak to you. And I really hope thank to see you in person at some point soon. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy life. Thanks, Laura.